Happy Thursday, everybody. We didn't even know if we were going to have a show today. I mean, the truth is, until about, what, 6.30 yesterday? That's when we really knew for sure that we would even be on the air today. Because they had the Miners taking care of business against Western Kentucky. We'd be right now in the countdown to tip-off show as they were getting ready for Florida Atlantic, the top seed. But unfortunately for UTEP, their big lead evaporated in a hurry. Second half was, I mean, this, this whole game was a microcosm of the season for the men. That's at least the way I looked at it. it was, this was a game in which it's frustrating because, um, you know, UTEP was winning. Then it got close. And then they got hit in the mouth a little bit in the second half. And, you know, tried to stay to keep pace, but faded late, lose the game. We've seen this game a million times this year. And I guess if there was ever a fitting way to bounce out from a disappointing season, it was yesterday because, once again, that script had been played out so many times, it was like, okay, yep, that seems to be the way this whole season has gone, Adrian. Yeah, you know, yesterday the game seemed out of reach all the way to the final minutes and final seconds, for that matter. Uh, UTEP goes down just by three points after Shamar Givens hits a three-pointer, which was miraculous that it went in uh, in itself, and then he gets fouled. He misses the free throw. UTEP somehow gets a chance. Hardy has a good look. Givens has a bad shot. They have no luck, no go-to guy at the end of it. And they had a chance to tie it when it was all said and done, which was wild to me in itself because I thought by the end, Western Kentucky did a nice job of distancing themselves. But I guess that's what UTEP was. They were always in these games, always so close, but could never pull them off. 100%. I mean, that's exactly how this season's gone. I mean, look, 9 uh, nine out of 11 is super disappointing. Losing in the first round is very disappointing. And, you know, we could talk all we want about how they got everything they could out of this team. Um, I don't know, is ninth and a first round exit really everything out of this team? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe that's just the reality. And if that's the case, they didn't recruit a good team. I mean, that's just what it is. You know, otherwise there's there's a lot of disappointment, a lot to go around. Minor talk was fire yesterday. After all, it was the season ender. So you might imagine people had a lot to say. We've got a mashup for you. Um, just as bad as last night was to end the men's season, look at what happened today with the women. And by the way, congratulations to Kevin Baker. First 20-win season since he's jumped on board. They beat the five-seed Louisiana Tech, Lady Texters, um, in a game in which they had to have, they did. And, and here's the difference between the women and the men. The women were up big, close. Uh, up big again, close. Down, up, up big, holding them off. It's a roller coaster ride with the women, but they persevere. We've seen it a lot this year. They come back from down 10. They've won games that they've been down. They've blown leads. They've getting the lead again. I mean, it's wild with this team, but this team, unlike the men, are able to come back when they go cold and they're able to put it together down the stretch. And why? 
while the men don't have a, a men's version of Jazzy on Jackson. They just don't. I mean, you know, that's the difference, I think. UTEP has Nia Boyd. They don't have a version of Boyd either. I mean, the women just have players that are vets, that know how to get them through in tight situations. The men don't have an Alina Enrique, a big body that could just go in there and physically dominate the opposition. Um, and, and that's the difference, really, Adrian, between these two teams. That's why the women were a four seed, and they're advancing to play the one, and the men were a nine, and they bounced out in the 8-9 game. You know, I also really appreciate the fact that the women's team plays such team-oriented basketball. It's like, like you were saying, Saying. There's so much balance. One uh, moment, it's Jackson who's uh, lighting it up on the scoreboard. The next moment, it's Arike blocking a shot on the defensive side. And I got to give a lot of credit to Alina Arike in this one. 15 points to lead the minors. She was efficient. Seven of nine for shooting. She had six rebounds in this game as well. She went out of this game briefly with some kind of an injury and then subbed right back in. Uh, but by far the player of the game in this contest test and now UTEP gets their date against number one Middle Tennessee the 24th ranked uh, Blue Raiders tomorrow which should be a great one. It's kind of like my version of if UTEP men would have played Rice and Scott Para. even though the men weren't uh, the Rice team isn't the number one seed like Middle Tennessee um, there is a lot of history with Rick Ensel the head coach um, and I'll be honest with you just just pure dislike I mean they're cocky they're brash. They talk trash. Kevin Baker had to be separated the first time they even played here at the Haskins Center. He was ready to go after them in the lock in the uh, heading into the locker room at halftime for some of the things that uh, one of the assistant coaches, who's also named Ensel, had to say on his way out. I mean, there's bad blood. I love it. And UTEP should have stolen that game in uh, in Murfreesboro. They didn't. They want another shot. It's the rubber match. It's a chance to go to the finals. I mean. I would have it no other way if I'm UTEP than if you're going to be able to hang a banner and, and try to punch your ticket to the NCAA tournament Go knock off the number one seed who you've already nearly beaten twice this year. Yeah, and can we say this? I mean, even if we're going to look ahead, uh, Western Kentucky, UTSA, they advanced. I like UTEP's chances against those two teams if they were to beat Middle Tennessee and dethrone the Blue Raiders in uh, this semifinal round matchup. So everything is on the line tomorrow. Tomorrow's kind of like your Conference USA tournament de facto because these are the two teams right here to beat. And Rice was knocked out today. That was another team that people feared uh, in the CUSA tournament, but UTSA advanced instead. We will have the UTEP Middle Tennessee game for you 325 airtime tomorrow. By the way, I know John had mentioned 1025 airtime. It is actually 325 airtime. So uh, sports talk will probably take the air right around the middle of the show, right a little after 530 or so. Because there will be a post-game show. There'll be a wrap-up. There'll probably be cross-talk on Sports Talk with John and Steve tomorrow. Don't be surprised if Adrian's got that for you. And uh, that's going to be all happening tomorrow following the UTEP women's game. And I have to mention this before I get to the phones because Craig's been patient, standing by, and he'll lead us off today on the phone lines, 505-6009. We've got a minor talk mashup from last night's show, which we'll play for you as well. But I have, you know... There are ways to win, and there are ways to lose. And the way the NMSU women lost last night was about as unlucky as you will ever get. 
where you nearly steal an inbounds pass up one in the final seconds. It goes to a player who essentially shouldn't shoot the ball, okay? She doesn't shoot it. She heaves it. She heaves it like one-handed from just beyond the three-point line with a hand in her face and nothing but net. It was a shot that if she tried doing it a million times, would miss him a million times. I mean, it's one of those shots. It just happened to go in. It's a crappy way to lose. When you've got a one-point lead over the two-seed and uh, you know that um, you know, you're know you that close to getting into the I think that would have been going into the finals because that was a uh, semifinal game, and you lose that way. That's just uh, that's that's tough. That's really tough for Jody Adams, whose team looked like they were ready to go all the way and try to win that uh, and, and go to the NCAA's. Yeah, and to bounce out so early. I mean, come on, this is so tough for New Mexico State right here. I was well, they so, won their first game, right? They won right. Their first, but game, I was but thinking they lost this. I would, th- I was thinking they'd go really far in this in the tournament, and I was thinking to myself that they had that one in the bag. But man, what a lucky shot! And those are just kind of those fluke shots that when they go in, uh, you just shrug and say hey that that's just how it goes sometimes unfortunately yeah there's nothing you can do real bad luck and and you know we talk about it and you say you know bounce out early but remember i mean they're now they're this um ultimately would have been i guess that was uh that was the quarters right is that the way it would have been that's right yeah so the quarter semis and then the the championships right right and they would have played so yeah they would have played in the uh they would have played in the semis because uh, they would have knocked off Southern Utah, and uh, they would be playing tomorrow night against Grand Canyon. That would be the big matchup. So, yep, that's a tough way. Tough way to lose. Tough way to lose. But anyway. And they blew a huge lead. I think that's another team that was up like 15 or 16 at the half. So you know what? Hey, um, you lose like that on a prayer, but you go back and say to yourself, when you've got a team down, uh, they were up 20 to – they were up really – 30 to 14 at halftime. You know what? You got to put a team away when you got them up 16. You can't let them back in the game and beat you on a miracle shot at the buzzer. Yeah, even when UTEP's up 16 in the first half, you got to put teams away like that. And they were outscored 21 6 in the third. So there you go. All right. Going to be a good show today. We've got uh, coming up, uh, as you mentioned, the Minor Talk mashup, which we'll all play for you. We will give out awards. We've got Jeff Erickson in our 5 o'clock hour. We've got Kate Fagan in our 6 o'clock hour. She's got a brand-new book out that I think a lot of basketball fans will be excited for. Super happy to have Kate on the program today. Yeah, Hoop Muses is com- is already out uh, when it comes to books. Women's uh, International uh, Day was yesterday, Steve, and we celebrated women across sports. And uh, this is a great way for us to belatedly celebrate it here on the show. Looking forward to that. All right, as promised, let's kick things off with our first caller of the program. He is Craig, and he gets us started here on a Thursday edition of Sports Talk. Craig, what's going on? Well, Steve, uh, I had a chance to look at the uh, men's postseason awards for basketball. I don't know if you've had a chance to to look at that. It yes. came out a couple of days ago, but... What what I found interesting, and admittedly, it goes without saying, the Miners had a horrible season. They had a bad season. But what I find interesting is they were completely shut out of those postseason awards. Correct. Uh, There are 11 teams in Conference USA, and every other team, the 10 other teams, had at least two or more players receive awards or recognition 
UTSA, the cellar dweller, had two players on honorable mention and one that made the all-freshman team. Yet UTEP was the only team nary a mention on the postseason awards. And right. I think you could make an argument. Maybe they didn't deserve it, but how do you explain UTSA, the cellar dweller, mm-hmm. the bottom feeder, getting two honorable mention, and there were 13 players on honorable mention, two on honorable mention, and one on the all-freshman team. It, so yep. do how, how are those votes tallied? Do the coaches only vote? Uh, yes, I believe it's – now, I don't think the media has a vote on those. I think it's strictly coaches. Okay, and so that leads me to my next question. Is Golding – how how is he uh, with the other coaches uh, in the conference? Is he well liked, or maybe he's created some enemies with the other coaches because they they sure didn't take favor on any of his uh, uh, members of his team. That's that's for a great sure. that's a great point. By the way, um, Shamar Givens was named All Academic uh, Conference USA. Yeah, I so. know, I know. But that doesn't. I, but but, but listen. That. But but the truth is that's not that's a classroom. That's not plays on the court yeah. um you're right i mean they got they received zero absolutely nothing across the board from the all freshman team to the all defensive team to all honorable yeah. mention nothing. No, nothing i i don't i don't get that one i i really uh i i can't figure that out uh the slightest to be honest with you if if utsa had no uh ball players recognize those postseason awards maybe i could understand it even but when utsa has two honorable mention and one on the all-freshman team and we have zero i don't quite understand that i don't either and And, uh, and you you can't tell me that uh shamar givens uh and tay hardy wouldn't at least be honorable mention sure sure uh it's another, know, but I it's mean, another reason why the league is garbage. Uh, let's be honest. There's, it's hard to respect the league when this is what you get year in, year out. I mean, but you want to know. But on the flip side, you know what? If you're UTEP, I mean, you wish you would have players that could do more that would ultimately yeah. get the kind of credit they should that they do so rightly deserve, especially if these awards were voted exclusively by the coaches. Well, and and let me say this: uh, the last six seasons for UTEP, with the exception of last year, they have been at or near the bottom of Conference USA standings. It has been a horrible six years, yep. with the exception of last year, where they did you know fairly well and won twenty games, and I believe they had a winning record in Conference USA. So. It's really getting old, Steve, for minor fans. It really is. And I, I have season tickets, and I've had them for years uh, and pay quite a lot of money for them. But mm-hmm. uh, all I can tell you, it's getting old. Uh, you know, we need we need a UTEP team that uh, can maybe get a little better talent on the floor. I, that's the other issue, recruiting seems to uh, not be our strength, uh, other than, of course, those transfers with Bryson Williams and Sule Boom uh, a few years ago. Interesting. Interesting. Well, all I can tell you is 
Um, you're right. Uh, there's a lot that should have come out of the, uh, you know, come out of the awards. And I hope they get better players. I really do. If this minor collective is what I think it's going to be, uh, that sh- NIL should not be an issue like it's been in the past. I mean, we can we can use the excuse and say that they had no NIL to work with. This is the best they could get. Uh, but. Uh, you know what? That, that excuse won't be valid anymore after this year. And you give him, you give, uh, you want to give Joe Golding um, one pass and give him, you know, um, one year to say, okay, let's see what you can do now in year three. Um, you know, it's going to be hopefully for minor fans a totally different type of result where you're not going to have to worry about uh, disappointment like this, uh, you know, in, in 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 future seasons. Well, I think I think most minor fans still like Joe Golding. I I, I would hope, but uh, I think next year will be a key for him. If if they do not uh, succeed next year and become much more competitive and yep. and win more games, uh, I think that who knows might end up being the death knell for Golding. I, I know he has what a five year contract, but uh, he's going to be quickly becoming uh you know he'll feel the heat let's coach. put it that way yep he will feel the heat no doubt just like rodney yeah, did yeah. same same exact thing so you're right yeah. appreciate it craig thanks for the call okay take care Bye. as far as minor talk goes uh how was uh the reaction towards joe golding last night um it was mixed steve it was mixed uh real quick just a couple of cleanups uh, i did find out awards are voted by one sports information director by each school a media member uh represented by each school and a coach so uh all that it's like a you know a, a massive pool of all of those uh different i guess votes and candidates and all that kind of stuff i would also say that when it comes to shamar givens and calvin solomon they probably deserve to be on that all cusa defensive team both those guys averaged over two steals a game which was actually the first time a minor duo had done so averaged two plus steals a game since the likes of tim hardaway and jeep jackson did so uh in the 80s so i thought that was pretty cool stat right there that is a good stat i like that so um apparently coach of the year adrian is voted on by the coaches Interesting. Okay. Coach of the year by the coaches. Um, but I I mean, the uh, players could be the combination of media of like media relations, which is like a, SIDs and media. So I don't know if coaches had anything to do with the uh, first, second, third teams, the defensive teams, and and so on and so forth. It says on the – this is straight from the release itself. It says the Conference USA Awards are voted by the coaches, the sports information directors, and a media representative from each school. Well, think about it. If That is technically true because coaches vote the coach. Right. And then maybe the media and the media uh, does does everything. Maybe they're just combining it all yeah. into one into one thing. Because apparently, I don't know if the coaches were uh, inputting uh, about you know that. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. That's how that true. Works. Like what kind of representatives each school has? Exactly. All right. 21 past. Good to have you with us. Went a little long in our first segment. We'll make it up coming back with uh, Charlie One in this traffic update. 25 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. 505-6009, that's our telephone number. Checking Twitter, at 600 ESPN El Paso. Poncho tweets the show, UTEP men's basketball doesn't know how to win close games, and that's on the coaching staff. They had so many close games and lost all of them. 
Also, they got outscored on the se- in the second half uh, on their losses, so adjustments are not being made. Getting out coached. They were up 22 to 6 yesterday, and I was walking into the 600 ESPN El Paso control room with a 16-point lead, and I'm not going to name names because there were three of them in there, but let's just say of the three, two of them were not uh, convinced that that lead was going to last. I'll just leave it at that. And sure enough, they were right. Uh, I was one of those people oh, right there. Oh, look I will at say you. I did not, look at you. I was not confident whatsoever. What has UTEP done this year to make you confident when UTEP has had a lead? I, I mean, all these games are close. It's also the law of averages. Like, they're shooting lights out early on, and I'm thinking in, in the back of my head, things have to average out. The U, UTEP has to hit that cold spell. They've done it every single game where they go on these scoreless droughts or scoreless runs, and it's frustrating to a lot of these fans out there. But it's just the reality of what this UTEP team was this past season. Yes, which was, um, you know, average or below. I mean, when you're under 500, that's usually below average. Let's be honest. That's not, we, you know, you try to be as positive as you can, right? And look, um, you know, you could could look at this team a, a lot of different ways. You could say that, you know, they didn't have talent, enough talent to be better than they were. But who recruits the talent? The coaches, okay? They coach them up, but they also bring them in. Or you could say they underperformed. That there were too many games they were in, and you know what? They they, they did have the talent to pull these games out. They just, they just couldn't do it for a variety of reasons. Uh, Steve, last night we had a big question on minor talk. How will you remember this season? How will you remember this past Whoa. season for UTEP? <laughs> it's a, it's bad... a loaded question, right? Oh, my God. Um, I'll remember this this team as one of the worst shooting teams I've ever seen. Okay, um, and, and a team that missed way too many free throws, turned the ball over too many times, and 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 like Poncho said, couldn't win those close games. That's just you know how I'll remember this team. So I'm not going to say that they didn't have heart and they didn't fight and they didn't give you everything they had. Unfortunately, it just wasn't good enough. That's that's the problem. But yeah, it's you know this. I don't even know if we want to remember this team. This could be a, a season you're going to want to forget because of uh, the outcome and the end result, was, which is a below 500 season. Right, and uh, I think that's the case for this team when you look at it from, and you take the step back and you look at it big picture-wise. The transfer portal will be very telling. And l- yesterday, uh, Joe Golding was very non-committal when asked about the transfer portal or just the offseason in general. He said, hey, it's it's spring break. That's right around the corner. Everybody's going to get to go home. Then they'll regroup after after the fact and figure out life, uh, You know, according to what Golding was saying yesterday. So you'll just have to take what he says right there and run and kind of run with it my question is you know the coaches are recruiting on the uh, on the backside of all this what are they looking for who do they uh, who are they prioritizing in the future and we all have our own preferences but who are the coaches preferring comes back for next season we have no idea about that we can't we can't answer that question we really can't right i guess the good news is when you have nobody that receives any postseason award in in this league well maybe the uh, other coaches around college basketball will uh, not have to worry so much about trying to raid utep's roster because as they look for all the postseason accolades they don't see anybody so you got to be a you got to be a real student of the game to try to go into the utep stats sheet and figure out who on this team is valuable because according to the CUSA, nobody is so maybe Joe likes that. 
Maybe Joe said, you know what? I don't want anybody uh, getting postseason awards. I don't want a first team, second team, third team, all defensive player. I don't even want any honorable mentions. I want to make sure that there is absolutely nobody on that list that coaches around college basketball are going to look at, see, and then say, let's go get him this offseason. Yeah, and let's also remember, no one was on the preseason list, so this shouldn't, They're come, consistent. As, yeah, this shouldn't come as a surprise. Yep. UTEP shouldn't have played their way into these postseason awards. What made them good this season was playing team defense. At their best, they were playing defense as a whole and locking teams up and, and playing you know competitive matchups that were low-scoring games. That's when they were at their best. But they had defensive lapses, case right. in point, yesterday. You blow a 16-point lead when you go ice cold and you let a team back in. Those are defensive lapses, you know? You gotta, you, you're up 22-6. to six. Hey, you got to put the foot on the gas and blow that team right out of the gym the way North Texas did to them last Saturday. At their best, they're the best defense in uh, Conference USA. At their worst, or what we saw yesterday, kind of up and down and inconsistent, they blow leads, they allow teams to come from behind, and they can't defend even simple plays, like simple stuff that you've seen them lock up all season long they just have these lapses at times the toughest thing for me was when they got hit in the mouth they had a hard time coming back like they would make it interesting they would kind of go from that 10 to 5 point range but when you hit them in the mouth pretty good and knocked them down they couldn't come back and take the lead that was the thing that would that was frustrating at times is one good run from the opposition and that usually was enough to beat UTEP You know, you wish they could do that same thing. Have that one good run in the second half, take the lead and never relinquish it, but it was usually the opposite that would take place. And the frustrating part is they would make these shots, and then on the other end, Western Kentucky would turn around and make a shot right in their face. So that's those are those defensive lapses. That's where you question the defense when it came down to the stretch on this season and what this team was really made of. And I get it. They're busting their ass off. They're, They're exerting a lot of energy on defense all the time, but at the same point, they're not locking down when it matters most in these games. Bottom of the hour as we kick it off with you, 505-6009. When we come back, minor talk mashup. We'll get it started right after Adrian at SportsCenter. Thank you, Adrian. 43 now past the hour. Sorry, sorry, 434 now the time as we continue here on Sports Talk. All right, uh, Minor Talk was a, was a doozy last night. As customary, a Minor Talk mashup kind of sums up all of the big calls from the show, as well as Adrian, Sal, and Jason. Let's let you listen in to what Minor Talk sounded like last night. And, uh, Sal, this is how we end the 2022-2023 season for UTEP men's basketball how will you remember this year? The, the way I'll, I'll remember this season the most is kind of like um, you could watch a large portion of the games and see the, the consistent issues that took place with this team, right? Just having issues with the free throws, turnovers. For a large part of the season, right, that was the main issue, or, or it was one of three pressing issues, turning the ball over a lot, not making your free throws, and not getting uh, three-pointers. So Coach Golding said it best, you know, on the um, on the post-game show, how two of those things they knocked out, but one of them they weren't able to get over that hump. But I think through a large part of the year, one of those three things, sometimes one, sometimes two, or maybe all three, that was the main issue. So you could watch the last game, which was this one here, and kind of get an embodiment for what the whole season was like. Zay, I'll ask you the same question that I just asked Sal. How will you remember this season? I'm going to remember this season in uh, a lot of different ways, a lot of different words you can you can say, but... They just didn't have that guy, right? The whole year we saw it, you know, the Kent State game. Shamar goes to the rim. 
denied and, and UTEP loses a game that, hey, they probably should have won. They had a chance to win at the end. And there's countless other games that, that went down like that. So UTEP just didn't have that score. And even if they did, would it have, how, how different would this season have gone if they had a talented score? Trolley, good evening. What's going on? But I'm livid, bro. I'm livid. I'm livid on this whole season. The outcome, whatever. You saw it in the tea leaves. I am so frustrated with this season. You had a question on how I'm going to remember it. I'm not, bro. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to finish my day drinking and forget (laughs) this whole freaking season. Now I'm more upset about last year. Because last year we had Keontae Kennedy, Jamal Biennemi, Sule Boom, and even Titus Verhoeven, who can give you six to ten points a game. Four dudes that are better than any of the four dudes that we got. I like Solomon. And we could only get a four seed and only win one game in CUSA. So now I'm upset about last year even more. George, good evening. What's happening? The team, it has a good core of, of players. And, and like I said before, you know, you need that, that outstanding player that, that can go out there and, and get your points under pressure and, and push the team to, to elevate to a, a different level. And you saw McKnight, he was out there and he was sparking his team and they elevated and they scored when they needed to score. And when we needed to score, yeah, we answered, but it was a little too late, too little, too late. And that's been the story the whole season long. Too little, too late. Ronnie, good evening. Welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? Golden's got to get a recruiter on staff, man. Like He's got to get a coach that has cut his teeth before. I don't care if he knows how to coach. I don't know if he has those responsibilities. I don't give a damn. He's got to get a guy to go get dudes um, left and right, and that's, that, that's it. Like I love Golden. He's the right hire, but he's just not one of those guys who's ever going to be offensive-oriented because that's not how his mind works. That's not how he sees the game, and I don't know if he's a guy that is like – the most relatable guy to today's kid. Now that's once again, it's no knock on Golding, but you got to have a guy on staff that you're like, Hey, this guy, you know, he's got a history of getting, you know, all conference type kids and he's got him and he's here. And Adrian, you know, what's so crazy. Let's rewind 24 months ago, 24 months ago, Joe Golding was a hot name. He was getting ready to, you know, make that leap, you know, from ACU to one of the big boys. We all, all of us on this show, all of us on campus, were, were out on Rodney Terry. Terry's the hottest name at the Power Five level right now. He's got blank checks waiting on him as soon as Texas leaves, loses. He can go anywhere he wants. Oh, it's just like, what a difference scenery makes. Maybe Terry was never suited to be a mid-major coach because there's just some limitations and resources that you just don't have at this level. Let's get back to the phone. That's fascinating. All right, let's 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 talk for a second about what Ronnie had to say. First off, I'm not sure about the relatable part. That I mean, listen, I think the players relate well to Golding. I'm, when I'm in practice and I watch the way they, they, you know, he never, ever feels – they don't dog it in practice. They give him everything that they've got because he gives him everything that he has. I've always felt that, okay? So I don't necessarily know about the relatable comment. I do agree about the assistance and the recruiting. He has to get himself a recruiter. There is no doubt about that, which goes in deeper because of their coaching pool. 
Uh, UTEP's coaching pool is less than 400000 which means that if you've got a top assistant making two hundred, then you've got 200 left or less for the remaining assistants. And it's difficult. When you're paying your second assistant 100 and your third assistant 85 and your top 200, that $200,000 assistants better be bringing you players left and right because that's a very you know, that's an expensive assistant. Or you need to increase the that coaching pool and go from four closer to 550. So now you can go like 225, 200, and 125. Something that will give you better pay to coaches. And that means better recruiters, better X's and O's guys, whatever. So there is something to be said about assistance. Um, I like his assistants. I like Earl Boinkins. I like Spriggs. I like Cox. But you know what? Sometimes you have to go out and make sure that your three are are able to deliver you the kind of talent you need to win. And that that wasn't the case last year. We'll see if it's changed this time around. You know, as far as the first statement of the player's coach uh, and questioning that, it's fair to question his relationship with his players, but it's also fair on our perspective to give what our point of view and just to say and back him up and say, hey, look, when we're around practice, when we see him around these players, there's a genuine love like off the court for these players and Joe Golding. I mean, I said it yesterday on Minor Talk, but we've heard stories about even recruits falling in love with the guy who is Joe Golding yep. and who might not have been uh, a minor when it was all said and done. But on the flip side of all of this right here, as far as the assistant coaches, you have to value your lead recruiter as much as you value your assistant coach who helps you out with X's and O's. And if you can't prioritize one or the other, unfortunately, in my opinion, you have to go with the recruiter over the X's and O coach. And by the way, um, understand this. What Rodney Terry did and what's happened to him, that never happens, okay? Mid-major coaches never leave a job with three years left on a contract to become a Power 5 assistant and then because of some fluke go thrust into the head coaching role, become coach of the year, and have a team now that could be a one or a two seed. This doesn't happen, but it happened to Rodney Terry. And it's an amazing story in itself. It really is. So that was such a great call by Ronnie, and I know that it also jump-started the phones last night, didn't it? Yeah, it was a fantastic call, and I would, I would also say this. You know, when you talk about the future, and you're, you're just talking about f- 24 months ago, you always look hindsight. Those things are always easy. It's always easy for uh, fans to say, hey, they could have been better in hindsight, or they could have hired better in hindsight. Always easy to say that, and it's yeah. easier said than done. It's hard to actually say what other coaches or other people could have done at any of these spots, you know, in hindsight, or the what-if game. True. All right, we'll wrap things up with our minor mashup as well as our one of three here on the program. 505-6009 as Sports Talk continues. Back here on Sports Talk, 49 past the hour as we continue. Minor Talk mashup. We left off with one of our favorites and uh, we get to go right back into the calls as well. Um, so let's continue right now, and uh, and here's what you missed if uh, you didn't get a chance to catch Minor Talk after uh, last night's game. Let's get back to the phones. Ed is joining us next on the phone lines. Point number one, I think that Joel Golding is 
a teddy bear coach. The players love him. I think that he has a good relationship. I think players want to give everything they got, and they and he proved it. Point number two, I'm not a big fan of Rodney Terry. They got a huge, a lot of a lot of money over there. They were already ranked in the top ten, and ironically, the one player who has bailed him out all year long has not been a player that was recruited by them. It's a player that entered the portal, and that's Jabari Rice. Another thing, too, is I think these players today could have won this game. There was one guy that did take over, but they had plenty of opportunities to win this game tonight, and I still think they're only a few players away. I'm going to stick with Golding. I'm going to say we're just a few players away. So the last point I'm going to make to you guys, and here's the big question. If a player got plenty of player playing time this year and there was a lot of games that were close, why would they enter the transfer portal? Sam is joining us next on the phone. Sam, good evening. What's going on? I'm an import myself um, from basketball perspective. I'm a diehard Knicks fan, so I know what it feels like to be in a drought, but you know, I have some glory days I'm behind and constantly searching for something to give you that spark and get you back and you know, that good feeling. I love the Miners, man. It's such a historic group. Uh, as far as uh, the culture of the team and the university as, as, a, as a whole. But I feel like, you know, with college, college is so sensationalized, especially now we're approaching March Madness. Everybody wants to see their team, you know, in the running, which is totally understandable. But at the core of things, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to playing and people entering the transfer portal, at the end of the day, it's not so much your stars. It's really about the collective. And I feel like sometimes people lose sight of no matter who the star may be. And with UTEP, you know, even if it's more defensive-minded, the defense is absolutely necessary because when you get to that top-tier level, the defense is what's really going to keep you there and get you to the championship. Hunter, good evening. We're wrapping up the season, man. What's going on? The UTEP athletic staff is breathing a sigh of relief. They were ready for it to be over. I'm sure some of the players and definitely the coach, they're ready to turn the page. I don't know if it was just... You know, a combination of things uh, this go around, but it just this this season wasn't meant to be. You guys hit, you guys stole my thunder there right at the end because you said nobody's mentioned Derek Hamilton, and I was going to tell you, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but in the top five wish lists for me are all three bigs. They each bring something different to the table that if I, I think if if they all improve, it'll be a fight for playing time next year. Derek. You know, still looks like it's the first time he's ever touched the basketball every single time. But unbelievable athleticism for a big man. Uh, Kalu, I've been telling you guys the whole time, look at the minutes. Look at the productivity per minute, specifically with his rebound. He is a rebounding machine, and that is what you want in a big man. And today he plays 13 minutes and scores in double figures. I mean, put that even to playing half the game, and he's probably going to get a double-double. And Derek Hamilton's a basketball player. He's the only one out of the three that actually knows how to play basketball. He just has to lose about 60 pounds, and he'll be there uh, dominating like the rest of them. So, And if you step up that talent level, and you can do it internally. You work those bigs, keep Solomon, and you got to bring in another Omar Thomas-type player and an- another Philly Rivera, uh, a true point and a true scorer, and add that to that core. That's what will change things around for next year. All right, so Hunter giving us the lowdown on the team. Look, I would love to see 
a five that is super skilled and can come right in and uh, and give you 30 minutes a game and become one of the best big men instantly in Conference USA. And it's no knock on the guys they have, including the big man, who I think could work himself into a rotational job, but I would love to see a, re- a legitimate five who can play. Steve, we were asking yesterday also, uh, top five guys you want back for next year. Just your personal top five list. It's hard, right? Like That's a Oof. tough one to, to go into as well. Let's I'm do asking that. all the loaded questions here. Let's do that in the 5 o'clock nice. hour. What do you say? Let's all do right. it. So we'll do that coming up. Plus, Jeff Erickson, a little fantasy talk as well. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on the program as we continue. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. I guarantee you that Aaron Rodgers becomes a Jet when uh, I am on vacation. Uh, that's just that. That is a that is a guarantee. Anybody who follows this radio show knows that whenever I'm off air, big things happen in sports. They always do. Always. Steve, how would you feel? I mean, like uh, overall, with Aaron Rodgers potentially becoming a Jet, it's Can't like wait. Uh, Brett Favre all over again. Can't wait! Hey, they were eight and three with Favre before he hurt himself. That's right. They were doing just fine with Brett Favre. He was still really good those final that final year. I think I still have my number four Favre jersey, even though uh, I, I haven't worn it in about uh, I don't know what uh, ten plus years. So however long that was, um, listen, I'm just telling you right now because I I don't hide my feelings. You know my feelings. Um, with what's left, I've always felt that Brett Favre, that uh, Aaron Rodgers makes the most sense for the Jets. Their win now, and if you need a win now, who else would you want but a guy that um, you know, uh, like what, fifteen months ago was the MVP of the league? So with Aaron Rodgers, uh, he wore number eight at Cal. Are you good with number eight for Aaron Rodgers in New York? With I don't the care Jets? what number Aaron. If Aaron <laughs> Rodgers wants to wear number twelve, and Joe Namath gives him the and blesses off on it, I don't care. That doesn't bother me. I mean, I think number eight was like Browning Nagel. So oh, that's yeah, good. I'd be I'd be just fine with uh, with with number eight. That would that would be fine. Hey, by the way, also with uh, Rogers surrounding him by a compliment of young receivers like Garrett Wilson, a young running back like Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just the perfect nucleus for Aaron Rodgers, along with his uh, former guy, is is offen- the new offensive coordinator in New York, Nathaniel Hackett, who was fired by Denver last season, but was Green Bay's offensive coordinator uh, with. Matt LaFleur before he was hired by Denver. There's so many reasons, so many reasons that uh, it, it does make sense. And I'm okay with that. I really am. I, I have no problem if uh, if Aaron Rodgers, who apparently is going to speak in June at some kind of uh, um, psychedelic science conference, which is right up his alley, he could talk about being locked in a room for a couple of, uh, like being in that dark retreat for a few days and what the darkness retreat was like for him. I'm sure that's perfect. Uh, you'll root for him on the football field. You don't have to necessarily uh, sell sell him a house or anything like that. You don't have to hope that you're renting him an apartment that he keeps it okay, you know, anything like that. You're just rooting for him on the field. Is that is that your mentality here? I don't care how weird he is. And believe me, he is weird. Uh, you just win football games, that's all that matters. 
I'm sad that he he depart away from Aaron Jones. Did you see uh, the former minor plead his case for Aaron Rodgers to stay uh, in Green Bay? And he was saying that on Good Morning Football uh, the other day. No, I didn't see that. All I saw was Aaron Jones endorsing uh, Jordan Love and how good he thinks he's going to be right. as his next quarterback around the Super Bowl. Well, Saw may- that. maybe Aaron's just uh, the nice guy all around. He just wants all his guys to win. So <laughs> I don't know how. Uh, yeah, I guess going back on this, I don't know how much we should take from that interview. 22-11, Florida Atlantic leads Western Kentucky. And just underway, Charlotte and Middle Tennessee in the CUSA men's tournament. Still to come, Louisiana Tech, North Texas, Rice and UAB tonight. Congratulations to the UTEP women. They were victorious. Um, and by the way. There are some that still say Lady Miners. Don't take offense. I mean, they were. They were the Lady Miners for like, let's see, 76 to at least 35 years. All right? And then they became the Miners. Well, some people, you know, if they, 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 they haven't heard that as much. So, you know what? We always say, hey, congrats to the ladies. Nobody ever complains about that. So, listen, we call them the Miners because that's what they are. If you call them the Lady Miners, as long as you follow them and you're and they're and they're relevant to you, that's all that matters. You know, saw that earlier on social media on yeah, Twitter. People just like to complain. Come on, stop it already. I mean, Charlie does a good job, so I'm not worried about Charlie One. Not worried at all about Charlie One. But yes, congrats to Kevin Baker and the entire coaching staff and team. UTEP first 20 win season since Baker's arrived. First. 20-win season. Saw this earlier today on our mobile app, powered by First American Bank. Uh, This came in from Larian Horizon City. How ironic Bob Stoll's last hire, a.k.a. Kevin Baker, has done more than both men's basketball hires for Jim Center. Mm, That's a very good... uh... Uh, point right there. I would just say for Kevin Baker, you, you know, and also for Jim Center, are we really knocking him uh, too much for Dana Dimmel? He wasn't directly involved. Correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. That was a search firm, right? Uh, before Dana Dimmel actually, like, that wasn't directly Jim Center. I'm sure maybe he, you know, he gave they had a thumbs a search up. Firm. They that had was a search, search firm right yes, there. They had so a search firm. Uh, we can call the men's basketball hires right there. We and can by, and, and by the way, Joe Golding. Joe Golding won 20 games last year. Success. Yeah, and they went to the postseason. They won one of those first two postseason games, whatever tournament it was. I forget what it's called. Was it the College Basketball Invitational? Uh, the College or the Basketball Classic. The Basketball Classic. <laughs> they, I've already forgotten. Um, Don't worry, they've already taken down their website. There's no, uh, there's no record of that uh, tournament ever happening. As long as we don't hang a banner uh, from that tournament last year, I'm happy. That's yes. it. Yeah, uh, that that tournament just needs to be forgotten. There you go. Um, did we wrap up minor talk, or did you have one, any more to go we on? We have that? one, one, uh, one more. Let's listen to the end of minor talk last night, presented by the Oscar Arrieta All State Agency. Sarah is with us here on the show. Um, just wanted to to give you guys my uh, top people that I would love to see come back next year. I don't think we got a chance to see Malik Zachary play much, but it seemed to me that he he provided a big spark when he came in. I think that we need to bring in a pass forward. Point guard, a real leader, Calvin Solomon, of course. You know, he's absolutely aggressive, so I, I love his style of play. Feel like Hardy uh, didn't get enough credit this year. I think he made a lot of his points on his own. Love Otis Fraser's game. Um, he's aggressive. 
I, w- I want to see more of Otis. And then um, I love Derek Hamilton. Um, I want to see him get developed. And Oyama as well. I can't absolutely not forget Oyama. So I, I think we have a good core, uh, but we do need a, a pass first point guard, a real leader. Good job, Sarah. Way to end the uh, the show last night. Out of way. Yeah, definitely. We now, uh, we love uh, whenever we get a chance to hear from Sarah. You asked me earlier. You put me on the spot, which I love, by the way. Not I, I fair. Never, well, I never have a problem with you putting me on the spot, ever. Listen, I've been doing this a long time. Part of the fun is when you put me on the spot because that's when I get to really, to me, that's when, I get, that, that's when the fun starts. And you asked me. If I had five guys from this year's team that I could keep, only five to bring back for next year, who would they be? Here's your five. One, Tay Hardy. Two, Calvin Solomon. Three, Kevin Kalu, or Kalu, depending on how you you pronounce his last name. Four, Zarek Onyema. Five, Otis Frazier III. That's my five. And if I had a sixth on this group, I probably would go Derek Hamilton just because if he could drop 30 pounds during the offseason, I think he could probably play 10 to 15 minutes a game as a backup center. Yeah, I mean, very I don't want I don't want Derek Hamilton as my starter right now. I know about the points per minute and all that stuff. Listen, to me, they need they have so many needs, but they got to get a ton of shooters, all right? I want a point guard who can shoot. I want a shooting guard who can shoot. I want another uh, couple players that can come off the bench and shoot. I want a true five who can play a legit five. We haven't had a legit five in a while. And I'm talking not a 6'8 kid. I want a, I want a 6'11", 7-footer who can get out there and dominate and play. I mean, that's you ask me what I want. That's what I want. I want shooters. I want a Big man, I want. There's a lot I want on this team. But you take those five guys, six with Hamilton, and you surround the uh, the new players with those guys, and and knowing what they can d- deliver, that's a good base. That's a good base, and that's 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 going to be a, a basketball team that that has a chance to win some games. I, I agree with you, and I also feel like okay. So my list, um, I, I uh, over the break, I thought I had the same list as you. I actually had Jonathan Dos Anjos instead of Kevin Callu on my list. So that's the that was the difference I had, and I think people were like questioning that. Why would you want uh, Jonathan? He hardly played, and I think that's kind of where I lean toward. He hardly played this past season. We don't know what he really has, but if he is is that stretch four that Joe Golding was talking about before the season started, and you can rely on him to splash threes off the bench. I'm good with him being like the eighth guy on this team because, remember, I don't want these guys that we're mentioning right here to be the focal point of this team. I want these guys to be supplemental guys or like rotational guys to the poster guy or like the guy on the team. Go out and recruit yourself a guy that you can go out and market yourself and, and sell season tickets to a big scorer or somebody who's going to excite fans and then surround him by the Otis Frazier's and the Zarek Onyemas and, you know, the Calvin Solomons of the world. I didn't see enough from Dos Anjos to believe that if he is healthy, he would, you know, he's, he's hit some threes. I'll give him that. But on the defensive side, he had issues. He did. And that's a problem. And just too inconsistent. Like a lot of these guys, too inconsistent. Oh. You need to bring in, you not, not only have to bring in good shooters, 
You need to bring in consistent ball players. Remember how I said at the beginning of the season that this team was full of guys who would want the ball down the stretch? Well, the problem was they would fade too much down the stretch where it didn't, they never had that one guy that could say, give me the basketball, I'll take you home every night. They just they didn't. And when each of these guys had opportunities in close games and it came up short, they would lose ball games. And we never truly saw the team of, of guys late that wanted the basketball the way I thought early on when I saw this season start in November. Yeah, I would I would totally, uh, you know, with that uh, point right there, I would also say one of the points that was made on the mashup that I that we highlighted was Ed, who mentioned the fact that, hey, why would these players decide to leave if they lack playing time? Well, conversely, and to your point that you were just mentioning right there, why would the coaching staff want to move on with some of these guys that, they, that just did not pan out this past season? This is kind of the time when the coach coaching staff can look inward and say, where do we want to go? Where, which players do we want as well? I'm curious to know their top five guys that they want returning next year, and if those guys in turn end up staying or if they end up leaving to try to pursue other options. Uh, there are going to be players going. It's just the portal. That's just the way it is. Some are going to go from their own accord. Others are going to go because they're going to be told that they're not going to have much playing time, much opportunity next year, and to go yeah. find someplace else to play because they're just not going to see minutes. And unless yeah. you really love El Paso and love sitting on the bench and practicing and not playing chances are there will be plenty of guys looking to go into the portal for a bigger opportunity. That's just that's just the facts. And that's actually a good thing for some of these players. Look at last year, Bonky Maring. He would have not played any minutes on this year's team right here. That's just yep. facts. And he goes off, and he's actually playing relevant minutes for Houston Christian. Granted, they play in the Southland Conference, but he's a rotational, actually he's a routine starter over there and plays significant minutes for them. He has a role over there. He would not have had a role over here at Utah. And We've seen a lot of guys just like that. Uh, a lot of guys just like that. All right, quarter past uh, here on Sports Talk. Jeff Erickson's going to come next. We're going to talk a little fantasy sports. Reminder, tomorrow, 325 airtime, the women are going to play Middle Tennessee. This is a game you don't want to miss, folks. Semifinals of the CUSA Women's Championships. Miners win this game and knock off the top seed. They're playing for a chance to go dancing. John Teicher, Steve Yellen with the call tomorrow, 325 from the star in Frisco. And then Sports Talk will come on following the game. Also, big, big note, we're going to be airing March Madness this year. That's right. The NCAA tournament returns to 600 ESPN El Paso starting next Tuesday with the two play-in games and then into full action Thursday, Friday, and the weekend. You're going to want to keep your radios tuned to 600 ESPN because we've got it for you. All the big games as uh, you, uh, you know, have a, a little uh, earphone plugged in, play some hooky, and uh, listen to some college basketball. So this is where we've got it. We've got it for you. All right. When we come back, Jeff Erickson, right after Charlie One, who's back with a traffic update. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. 505-6009. We'll have Jeff Erickson here in just a minute. I just realized something. He's finishing up a video podcast that started about 21 minutes ago. So uh, we should be good. And then let's try him at home since he's doing that video podcast. I'll let you know when it's time. And uh, we'll, go, uh, we'll go from there. Meanwhile, um, a lot of basketball, a lot of fun. I mentioned you know all the games, NCAA tournament here on 600 ESPN El Paso. You think Mississippi State gets in with Chris Jans beating Florida 
and now having to uh, go to the quarterfinals tomorrow in a huge game against fourth-ranked Alabama? You know what it probably does, Steve, is it keeps them alive. I don't know if it necessarily gets them in just yet. Uh, I think they have to uh, do a little bit more to to punch their ticket into the big dance just because their record. I get it. They're they're still playing in one of the best conferences, if not the best, uh, in college basketball. But still, I think they're going to have to prove a little bit more here before the big one. I don't know. I mean, I think if they win, they could be in. But it's so interesting right now isn't it it yeah. really is yeah and also the fact that they beat uh florida who is also kind of on the bubble so it, it just kind of these different games whether it's big 10 like uh ohio state uh trying to advance or you know michigan trying to advance those are the teams who need it most right now and i uh, think they knocked florida out of the ncaa tournament today yeah exactly so i mean oh. florida was right on the bubble uh, Jeff is ready to go, by the way, so we can get him on here in a moment and uh, should be able to deliver that segment for you uh, from our uh, weekly spot at rotowire.com, your one-stop shop for all fantasy sports. And by the way, I'm looking at some of the newest articles up on the website right now. There's some really, really good stuff. Um, must draft players, the video from Jeff, he put that up. We've got also um, the... NL Central Pitching Preview with Brad Johnson. We've got rookie hitter tiers as well as the WBC. A lot of good stuff. And that's all from uh, Jeff at uh, rotowire.com as we continue here on the show. All right. As promised, let's get right to him. He uh, joins us to talk a little fantasy sports each and every week. Baseball is in full swing. We've got uh, free agency starting in the NFL pretty soon. Derek Carr going to the uh, from the Raiders now to the Saints. Jeff, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Steve. Uh, it's a, such a great time to be a sports fan. It really is. By the way, congratulations. You did a couple of uh, drafts uh, on the Fantasy Channel last week with uh, our own Cody Decker. Very excited about those shows. Yeah, he spoke highly of you, too. You didn't tell me he actually stayed with you for a little bit there. Uh, he did. He, he's, he speaks highly of you and of uh, Val Paso as a whole. He's coming back in early May for a wedding, and I've already told him that his room is ready when he wants it. So um, nice. it is it is nice. We call it the Cody Decker Memorial Room at the uh, Kaplowitz household. And, yes, it uh, it's great. But, no, he's doing a lot of good things out there in uh, New York, doing a lot of fantasy stuff now, and happy that uh, you guys had a chance to hook up and, and, and talk a little fantasy draft. If there's one thing Cody needs a little more experience in, it's fantasy baseball because I think this is probably the first time he's playing it on a regular basis, which I'm excited Excited for him. Yeah, uh, obviously he knows the players really well. It's just a matter of knowing the game. He does know, you know, he's also in on like kind of the gaming aspect, like, you know, totals, find, finding props, things of that nature. So yes. obviously, you know, he's well versed. And so it was fun covering these leagues. And it was an auction, too, which is another little angle to it, too. It's not just a matter of like when a player goes, it's how much, team construction, things of that nature, too, which made it a lot of fun to discuss. Oh, those are a lot of fun. I love it. Um, meanwhile, are you a big college hoops fan this time of year? Do you like a while, watching Absolutely. all the action? Absolutely. Hey, uh, I, I, for the first time, Northwestern uh, made it, got the double buy in the Big Ten. We're usually called North Wednesday but when it comes to the Big Ten tournament, but instead we have to wait till tomorrow to get our first tournament game. I'm super excited about that. Oh, that's right. You're a Northwestern alum. Yes, sir. I forgot. Yes, sir. I forgot about that. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this. I mean, how well do you know the Northwestern roster this year? Uh, pretty well. 
Titus well, Verhoeven, a former minor, kind of yes. uh, become a nice little role player off the bench for Northwestern this year. He has. You know, the thing is, he was a walking foul initially, um, and then he, he kind of got his way, uh, kind of got his feet under him there. Uh, and he, he's been pr- playing some quality minutes in the middle, p- pulling down some rebounds, playing some good defense. Good stuff. All right. I like that. That means you've watched some Northwestern basketball. Excellent. Uh, as far as the human foul goes, yeah, we experienced a little bit of that over uh, the, the years he was at UTEP, too. So don't worry about that, Jeff. That's that's, uh, that's, that's just part of the package that comes with, with, with Titus. Um, meanwhile, uh, around the sports world, before we get to baseball, because there's a lot of baseball to talk about, football. Give me your thoughts on Derek Carr going to uh, New Orleans and what it means for him from a fantasy standpoint. You know, it, it bless bless the Saints because they're always trying to win. Um, that said, I, I'm not the biggest advocate of Derek Carr. I think he's solid. He tries to. He's pretty good at protecting the football. But I, I think you put him in some like outdoor tough situations. Uh, he struggles a little bit. I mean, I, I can't like forget about like that Pittsburgh game uh, late in the season, or for that matter, the game at the Saints where he, they got shut out. Um, you know, that, that's one of those, uh, where I was like, okay, I mean, I, and the, the thing that's interesting is it's causing, it's forcing a lot of the other action that it's yep. one chess piece off the board. The jets can't get car despite a positive visit with him. Uh, so they're redoubling their efforts to go get Aaron Rodgers. I'm, we're waiting for that any moment now. Um, I think Carr definitely doesn't hurt Chris Olave. Uh, we saw we saw a lot of big games for Devontae Adams, but we also saw some games where Adams kind of disappeared. I don't really think that was on Adams. Uh, so we'll see. I, I mean, I have Olave in my dynasty league, so I've been I've been fending off trade offers for him. So I, I plan to keep hold on to him. I expect, expect good things, but we'll see. I mean, funny thing is, I do have Carr in that league too, so I guess I'll hold uh. on to him. By the way, if, as a Jet fan, I do want to see Rodgers with the Jets. I feel like, given the circumstances, that was always the best option on the table from the beginning, including mm-hmm. Carr. And uh, I didn't want to see them give that kind of money. That really puts them in a tough spot, especially if he's mediocre like he was the last couple of years uh, in Vegas with the Raiders. Um, Rodgers, you get two years. This team is built to win now. And if there's a guy out there that at least can deliver you to the postseason and give you a chance, it's, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I, I think so. And I want to see Garrett Wilson get unlocked. I want to see Elijah Moore like get another chance yep. uh, with a real quarterback. So I, I think Elijah Moore, more than anybody else, got hurt by Zach Wilson and the you know the the musical chairs at quarterbacks whenever uh, Wilson couldn't play. So yeah, you want to see that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that'll be. Uh, uh, you know that 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 would be a a really good outcome for the Jets, and if they don't get Rodgers, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I don't think they're going to go after Lamar. I don't uh, either. I, I listen in that case. To me, the safe bet: go get Jimmy G. Pray he stays healthy, and if he does, probably makes you a playoff team too. I don't see what possibly could go wrong if that in that scenario. <laughs> okay, maybe I can. Um, yeah. Uh, meanwhile. You know the Jets. You know, you know, with Lamar, it's it's wild to me, Steve, that we're seeing all these teams disavow even any interest in him. I know, uh, I know, it's, so it, it's unseemly. It is, and is it because is it just because he's representing himself, or what do they see that the rest of us don't? I think they're trying to negotiate. I think it's a leverage situation. Maybe because he is negotiating for himself. He, you know, they. they he, you know, the and I think they're trying to cool the Jets on maybe an initial ask. I think there's going to there's got to be. I mean, 
there's got to be teams that are in our city. I, I can't Atlanta just, imagine Atlanta saying, nope, we're good with Desmond Ritter. We don't need Lamar. I, mean, I know. Please. Uh, and I don't think they want to help the Ravens. I don't think anybody is going out of their way to help the Ravens. But it, it's the whole situation is pretty weird. I think he ends up on the Ravens on a, you know playing under the uh, the uh, uh, under uh, the tag uh, begrudgingly. But I don't think he sits out the season. Last thing before we take the break and come back with baseball rumors that uh, the Cowboys and D Hop could be looking at each other in a potential um, you know situation if. Hopkins goes to the Cowboys. How big is that for Dak Prescott in this offense? It's pretty big because uh, they were hurting at the second wide receiver spot this past year. Uh, yeah, I, I think that would be pretty uh, pretty decent. It's so Cowboys, though, to trade away Amari Cooper and then trade for Hopkins, an older player, uh, a couple years later. That's true. Although, I remember, if, if Hopkins can just get into the fountain of youth a little bit, bring back what made him so great, uh, it would be a monster deal. Yeah, you, you know, when he came back from the suspension, he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, and then, like, Kyler got hurt, and it was all a mess after that. And then Hopkins got hurt again. And that's part of the problem, though, is, you know, health kind of starts to decline at that age for wide receivers. So, that, that, But, he, you know, given how poor the wide receiver market is for free agency right now, and how the Cowboys whiffed on their attempt to get a wide receiver in the draft last year. I got to think that they're seriously contemplating that route. Speaking of health, I've got health questions in baseball. We'll do that next as we keep things moving with uh, Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. If you've got a question, tweet us 600 ESPN El Paso as we send it back right now to Adrian and this sports center update. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. We continue right now with uh, Jeff Erickson uh, from rotowire.com here on the program. Uh, Let's talk injuries. The Carlos Rodon forearm strain should have Yankee fans and fantasy owners worried. Heading to the IL, this is not the news the Yankees want to deal with. They're already having other issues to their rotation anyway. And now hearing that uh, Rodon's got a forearm strain, he was the big signing this offseason. How concerned should everybody be right now, Jeff? Very. Uh, Forearm strains often lead to elbow issues. that said, Brian Cashman said the strain is being, call, uh, being called mild, but he's not even going to throw for the next seven to ten days, which means he's probably going to miss the first month of the season. you, you got to take a pretty big haircut on him now to be able to roster him, in my opinion. You do, um, unless you're obviously in a dynasty league and then you just hold your breath and hope that uh, it's not too bad, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, um, um, speaking of elbow injuries, let's talk about one of the top prospects in the game, Andrew Painter. He's 19. He throws 100 miles an hour for the Phillies. He's one of the top arms in all of baseball. He's had a right elbow injury since last week. And don't you find it weird that the Phillies have not given any update since really about a week on his status right now? It is. It makes you think that they're uh, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. They probably saw some bad imaging. They want to get it confirmed by a specialist. Uh, I heard that they had sent the the, the results to Dr. D- Neil Atrash. Uh, you know, and when the wording of the the update they did provide is, Painter has not been told, nor has anyone said that he needs surgery. But they didn't say he doesn't need surgery. You know, it's one of those you have to kind of parse that very carefully and see. It, it, it's kind of inching towards double negative zone there. It is. Um, I saw that scary uh, moment with Justin Turner when he got hit in the face. They're hoping that he'll be ready to go for the opener, uh, you know, because he was one of the big signings uh, for the Boston Red Sox. Look, uh, the fact that he's not more seriously injured after taking one straight in the, uh, basically in the forehead is pretty remarkable, isn't it? 
It is. It is. Um, and that, that was an ugly one there. Um, hopefully, hopefully, you know, there's no re, like post ex post facto of, uh, effects there. Like when he finally does return. Right now, when you look at these first, you know, week and a half of uh, of exhibition games, are there any stories that you're closely monitoring right now? Because we always know that spring training is you got to take it with a grain of salt, minus the injuries. What are you looking at right now? You know, I'm looking. I always look for like the, the control of the strike zone. Um, you know, who, who if like a player had a trouble as a hitter striking out in the past, has he impro- improved that at all? Um, you know, and as a pitcher too, is he missing bats? You look for velocity readings, although those can be a little variable. Sometimes a pitcher is working on something. Sometimes he's purposely limiting the velocity. Although even you know, even that is kind of a scenario there. We're like, eh, you know, look at Rodon, where the he said that, you know, following a start over the weekend where his fastball is three miles an hour slower than it was last year. He said that the Yankees told him to uh, reduce it. But then again, then two days later, you get this. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, loud contact. You look to see if the players are running. Um, and, of course, you're looking for job outs. Don't look at batting average, though, guys. That, that means almost nothing. Don't look at ERAs. Definitely don't look at saves. Saves, saves in spring training are the, like, the, the absolute worst indicator that you can find. Do you we want to hear what yep. the pitcher's going to, like, the manager's going to say who's going to close if he says anything at all, but that's it. Do we have a place to monitor and find velocity readings in spring training? Yeah, it's not standard. A lot of the parks have uh, what's called uh, trackmen, uh, you know, so you have a lot of you know, readings. But trying to find a central reporting place can be a little tricky. Now, you know, so, like we'll we'll track it when it's provided to us. But it's not quite standardized like it is in the regular season. Will we ever see RotoWire provide some kind of way to like? kind of go into the TrackMan readings and, and give us velocity readings on a regular basis? If they provide it to us, if there's a feed for it, we'll have it. All right. Well, they got, um, they got to do that it's, for us. it's pretty much that simple. I mean, it, you know, it, we're not going to have our own devices there. Um, we're, we wouldn't be allowed to. I mean, there's, it, they're pretty darn expensive, and they're, they're standardized by Major League Baseball. So, and, and minor league teams now have it in most parks, too. It's rare that you find a minor league park that doesn't have it. There's a really good article in the uh, Athletic uh, by Zach Buchanan talking about radar guns and the history of it and the scouts' usage and, uh, and decline of usage. Uh, and like the the different various iterations, and many times they'll carry it, but they 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 wish they wouldn't have to carry it. Makes sense. By the way, I'm checking Twitter right now during the show. This came in a little while ago from Enrique Ortiz. The Red Sox are undefeated in spring training, and could this be a precursor for the regular season, Jeff? No. No, this is like you know minor leaguers versus minor leaguers, and there's all sorts of things that uh, indicate that uh, spring training record has no bearing whatsoever on the regular season. Uh, I would think maybe if a team is like historically bad, maybe, mm-hmm. but you know, not especially first two weeks results don't really matter in terms of wins and losses. I will say this: uh, good numbers to start the spring. Okay, Jared Kelenic in seven games has four home runs and five yep. RBIs, and he's batting three sixty eight. Edmundo Sosa for Philadelphia has got four home runs, and he's batting five hundred. Pete Alonso, Alex Baum, Chris Bryant, Andres Chaparro, Michael Conforto—they uh, all have three home runs each this spring, along with a whole host of other guys. A lot of guys hitting the ball well. Uh, at least to start. Uh, The fun part is stolen bases. So far in the spring, 
Zach Veen, the young prospect with Colorado, has seven steals in ten <laughs> games. Uh, it's you know, wild watching him. Yep. He, he, he's like pedal to the metal. I had Nick Groca from the Athletic on our show today because we were covering, we were previewing the Rockies, and I let it off with Veen because he's making such a big way. But thing is, they need they need Veen to be able to hit with power before he's really someone we should be getting too excited about. Uh, he probably will begin the year in the minors. You know, he could steal 17 stolen bases this spring. That's not going to win him a roster spot. It's fun to watch. You want to see that action. And what you are seeing is more teams trying to run, period. Uh, but a lot of times the guys that are getting all those stolen bases are guys that aren't going to be in the majors. So That's kind true. of want to take those, those, those with a little bit of a grain of salt. I'm trying to see who's stealing bases who will be playing uh, in the majors, and uh, it's a short list when you really start to go down the, down the list yeah, potentially. Right? It, so, it, yeah. it is that way. I will say, hey, doing well is better than doing poorly. You know, we want to, you know, Kelnick, is, it is fun to see him hit four homers. His price in drafts has gone up uh, accordingly, which is crazy. It's 20 plate appearances, and all of a sudden we're going to change the narrative on him. I'll, I'll say, in 20 plate appearances, he, had, he has one walk and six strikeouts. So, Still a 30% strikeout rate. We'd like to see him strike out less than that. Back to the rookies. We know him from El Paso. Jose Azucar. He's got nine RBIs, and he's batting three thirty-three in 11 games for the Padres this season in the spring. How about one of your guys? Christian Encarnacion Strand. Oh, he's got 10 homers. Guy. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All the loud contact. Um, I will take him in like the last round of draft. There's... A non-zero chance he makes the big league roster to, uh, uh, with Joey Votto likely to be getting the year on the open, uh, on the IL. But chances are far more likely, even with that, he'll probably begin the year in AAA because Encarnacion Strand is trying to learn first base. He was a third baseman. The Reds have all the left side of the infield prospects already. So he, defensively, Encarnacion Strand is nothing special. So he, he needs to, you know, that bat needs to be loud. Uh, and he's doing a lot of damage against lesser pitchers. Uh, it's great to see. Uh, in the context, the sound coming off his bat is super fun. As far as pitching goes, I'm looking at some of the numbers. I saw they named uh, Hunter Green the opening day starter for Cincinnati. Yep. That's starting around. Uh, if there's one guy that's having a great spring so far, and it's good to see, it's Eduardo Rodriguez, given the struggles he's had since he's been to Detroit. Yeah, uh, we still don't know all the details of why he was away from the team last year, but, uh, you know, he is healthy now. He's pitching well, and you know, Detroit, they, they, they had a, it was a really tough year because I think they thought they had realistic expectations to improve, and they didn't. Instead, they backslid. Uh, a lot of their top prospects struggled, and a lot of their starting pitching prospects got hurt. Uh, and that's the thing. They need, they need to get healthy. They need to get contributions for Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Uh, and, and Javi Baez in his first year with the Tigers had a terrible season, too. So mm-hmm. they need a lot of those things to kind of turn around. Let's talk about the website and what you've got right now at rotowire.com, Jeff. Sure. Uh, we've got all sorts of materials to help you do well in your drafts, whether it's projections, rankings, dollar values, strategy articles, all, you know, all sorts of stats that you can kind of parse through and dig in and kind of learn a lot about the players there. This is the time to really dig deep on these guys. So check it all out. You, get a, you can get a peek behind the paywall for a couple of days. Rotowire.com slash free. There's no credit card required. Just uh, put in a valid e- email address and off you go. And hopefully you like it so much you want to subscribe. Good stuff. Hey, listen, we'll talk to you again right back here. Uh, I don't know. Um, I was going to say next week, but we've got tournament games next week. We will talk it over with you, Jeff. We will work it out, and we will figure some way to get you prominently on this radio show so we can talk more fantasy with you in the near future. It's a deal. 
Thanks again, Jeff. He's Jeff Erickson, rotowire.com, as we continue. 43 past. More in a moment, but first, let's get back to ABC 7 News with an update, and then Charlie One here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Start of hour number three here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody, along with Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Hey, we are excited right now about having a very special guest joining us on the program. Just a couple of days ago, this book dropped Hoop Muses, uh, an insider's guide to uh, pop culture and the women's game. And we're talking about Kate Fagan from ESPN, who uh, is with us right now uh, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Kate, uh, welcome to the show. Great to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Perfect timing, Kate. How how did you know that this book would come out during championship week, the tournament right around the corner? You planned it beautifully. Yeah. I mean, International Women's Day, Women's History Month. It's almost like these publishers know what they're doing, you know? <laughs> it's true. Now, you tell us, um, you've written books before. When did you get the idea to come up with, uh, with, with this latest effort? It, I've been working on this for better part of two years. So it's been a long time in the making. And I mean, I, I had grown up playing the game. My dad taught it to me. I played in college. And so basketball has just been a love affair over the course of my life. And I've spent, I spent a lot of time when I was at ESPN trying to bang the drum to get people to care. And it's not always easy to kind of tell people they should care. So I decided to take a different tact and just pour all of what I thought was like the joyful, fun, vibrant love of the game into a book that hopefully showed a lot of care and would introduce people to the the history of the game, the love of the game, the pop culture of the game, just a joyful book. At the same time, your book is one of the rare, um, I guess, efforts that starts in the future. In fact, yeah, yep. the, the book begins in 2072, and uh, unless I'm, you know, 99 years old, getting ready to celebrate mm-hmm. my 100th birthday, I'm long gone. But that's where it starts, and interestingly enough, the 75th anniversary of the WNBA is is how you began things. Yeah, and, and you know, the book is illustrated, it's colorful, there's comic book art in it. There's, you know, redesigned movie posters. But, yes, I, I decided to start it in the future with this comic book page and this future character named Jacqueline Jones, who in 2072 is the biggest star in the WNBA. And I, of course, imagine a very optimistic future for the game. And she doesn't know her history. You know, she doesn't know Maya Moore, a legend who's currently, you know, top of mind for a lot of W fans. And she goes on a little journey back in time. And... The book is, we wanted it to be so fun and dynamic because writing a book about women's basketball history isn't necessarily going to spark the interest of like the mainstream sport public. But we thought with doing all of these dynamic takes and different and bringing so much fun and flavor to it that we could maybe pique the interest of some sports fans who wouldn't normally pick up this book. Kate, you use the word fun. I look at the cover of this book, and I just see so much fun with the vibrant colors that you mentioned, all the different illustrations. Talk about that part of the book and how it's kind of interactive for the reader to look at all these different illustrations as they sift through the book. I mean, I'm so happy to hear that. You know, it's only obviously been out in the world for a couple days. So much of the vibrant nature of the book is the illustrator, Sophia Chang, who's a really amazing illustrator who works with a lot of companies that we know in the sports world, like Tops and Oakley, and does so much fun, poppy kind of artwork. And we were thrilled that she was able to work 
on this book. And so we just, we wanted it so much to bring out the joy that we all, I mean, that I felt growing up playing the game. A lot of times, I mean, you guys know you're on Sports Talk Radio. Sometimes the only time you may, may touch a women's basketball topic is, like, if there's been somebody who said something terrible about it or, or there, you know, there, you have, like, something negative that happens. It's an anomaly. And I often have to talk kind of from a place of anger about why no one takes it seriously. And I was like, you know what? What we're going to do is we're just going to, like, write this for n- not trying to, like, have caveats and, like, try to convince people that it's great and just make it beautiful. And um, that's been a really fun process to just focus on the beauty and the joy of it. Meanwhile, uh, take me back, okay? So you start in the future yep. in 2072. Take me back to around the turn of the millennium, okay? You're finishing up your high school days and mm-hmm. one of the stars uh, you know, in, in New York, and you're getting ready to, to go to college, and, and that's where you played your ball at University of Colorado. If this kind of book was out for you then, um, would this have been something that you would have gravitated to exactly like the, the kind of people that, you know, you, you're, you're targeting now for, for this book? Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the, when I was growing up, so we're talking, you know, when I was just started AAU and was getting recruited, we're talking like Pat Summit heyday with Shamiqua Hold Squad, 97, 98 to tell, I mean, there was nothing like this. I would have eaten this up because I was, I bought all of Pat Summit's books. She wrote a book called Raise the Roof. It wasn't illustrated. It was just, you know, words on paper telling me the story of, of how she coaches the Lady Balls. I read that a number of times. I read Venus to the Hoop about that 1996 Atlanta Olympic team by Sarah Corbett. I read In These Girls Hope is a Muscle about a high school team in Massachusetts. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of young girls out there. I mean, just like we could go back even farther to Matt Christopher books, you know, where you're, you're reading about a, a team and it's a small kind of young adult novel. And I gobbled all those up. So I really did this book, I guess the target demographic would be like 13 to 18 year old young hoopers, but it's not for young people. It's, it's really kind of a coffee table book that I think you would love at any age. Kate, when we're talking about this book specifically, uh, I got a chance to just look through some of the pages, and one of the pages that really struck me was uh, I. It was talking about the hoodie of the WNBA and how that really uh, caught a lot of people's attention through the use of Kobe Bryant. And I can uh, I can picture that hoodie that he was wearing uh, in my head. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and how that may have influenced uh, the gear for WNBA? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was that, the year, it's known as, you know, the bubble, the bubble year, right? So bubble year for the NBA, bubble for the women. That coincides with the hoodie. It coincides with Kobe's death. And all of those things kind of intertwine and create this moment in WNBA history that in a lot of ways has, has set off this next inflection point for the league. And the hoodie is such a key piece of this. It's a really vibrant, deep orange color and, a lot of the reason you've probably seen it is because Kobe wore it and it was one of the last photos. He was sitting courtside and he was taken, he, he was wearing that hoodie. And so a lot of outlets after he died, like that was the most recent photo. So that photo was everywhere. But the thing about the hoodie was it was already gaining traction because of its bold nature. Uh, you know, different WNBA stars had kind of worn it and it was becoming a fashion statement, but Kobe's death along with, 
just everything he had done in those last years of his life to really share the game with the women that he mentored and to share his spotlight with the WNBA. That was a mantle that you can see now has been taken up by so many of his peers, whether it's, you know, Kevin Durant, may he quickly heal from his ankle injury, talking about Brianna Stewart coming to New York, to Chris Paul, to Pau Gasol, I mean, LeBron. I mean, these guys have really realized the, the mutual benefit of supporting the women's game. We're talking with uh, Kate Fagan right now. Her brand new book, uh, Hoop Muses, is out, and you can order it uh, on Amazon. You can order wherever you, wherever you get books. It's available right now. If you want to learn more, you can also go to Kate's website, buykatefagan.com. That's by B Y katefagan.com. You're welcome, Kate. Um, so earlier this morning, we aired the uh, UTEP Louisiana Tech quarterfinal game in the CUSA Women's Tournament. And UTEP was able to win. They now have a date with nationally ranked Middle Tennessee in the semis tomorrow at uh, 3.30. It gets underway here. Um, A lot of people wrapped up with UTEP basketball. As you know, the history with Don Haskins, Glory Road, winning the 66 uh, championship over Kentucky is still considered one of the watershed moments in the history of the game. That being said, Women's basketball has also been pretty relevant from what Keitha Adams was able to do over the last 10, 15 years to now what what Kevin Baker is doing with this team and going up against Rick Ensel uh, and his powerful Middle Tennessee team. Uh, A lot of interest here locally, as you might imagine. And, you know, we've seen women's basketball grow into something where they draw well, there's interest. Fans are supportive and as loyal as it gets uh, here in El Paso with the UTEP program. Give me your thoughts on the game in general from both the, you know, the college level, and are you happy with where women's college basketball is at this point? Well, dang, I'm talking to some experts right there because you just dropped some knowledge there that anyone who, that I, you know, I didn't even know, so that was good to hear. Um, Texas makes so many appearances in the book, as you can imagine, from Jody Conrad to to Cheryl Swoops and, and, and all of that. But, so, I mean, I, what, I stopped playing college ball my last year was, was 2004. And I remember that summer I was just asked, because I, I was in Colorado, so near Colorado Springs where Team USA was, and they had a youth team and they asked us to scrimmage them. And I was the very next year blown away by some of the younger stars who were like 16, 17 coming up. So when I look at the game now, I mean, you, we, we probably can't, get out of this interview without naming what Caitlin Clark is doing in Iowa and the way she's playing and the way that arena is filled similarly to, to, to UTEP and, and how people love that sport down there. I mean, the college game right now and all of the metrics of like social engagement and TV ratings and, and coupled with where the trajectory of is for the WNBA, I feel like we're finally on the brink of getting away from some of the, like the continued dogging of, what women's basketball is and like trying to get over that kind of the hump day on it where we can get to the other side and say, okay, we're done with people just going out of their way to trash it. Like we're now to the point where we've got, we've got some insane talent that is like legitimately fun to watch. Even if you just parachute in and you don't know all of the storylines, I don't know how you wouldn't be drawn to some of the players at the college level right now. 
Kate, we, uh, you know, we're, we're talking right now about women's college basketball. You have a section in this book called The NCAA Era Begins, which really takes you back to the roots, just like we talked about here as far as where the game is at now. Tell us a little bit about some of the challenges uh, the teams, the players, the coaches had when they were really kicking things off in the 80s, uh, like you wrote about. Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity for that, because that was one of the things, as a former NCAA athlete, I didn't even know. You know, the, the best way to, to say it is, like, let's, if we start in the 2021, when everyone kind of lost their minds about the differences between the women's and men's bubble, and all that went viral, where the women had basically eight-pound weights and the, the men had a sprawling weight room, that really traces its origin point back to the 70s in 1982, when the NCAA spent... I don't even know if this is what you were asking me to talk about, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. there um, the NCAA spent a decade, the first decade after Title IX passes, spending millions of dollars trying to overturn Title IX. I mean, there was, there was no part of the NCAA that wanted equal funding for women's sports. So when that, when that failed, the NCAA decided they better govern women's sports because at least then they can be in charge of the dollars, and it wouldn't be 50%. They could really limit it. And they take over women's sports in 1982, and it's the elimination of the AIAW, where women were governing women's sports. And it, there's much benefit when it comes to TV contracts and exposure, but what the lasting ramification has been is that Title IX, has, which promised you know, equal funding, it's never been more than about a third. 33% is most of the data. So, you know, there's a history, and we try, I mean, even though Hoop Music is supposed to be joyful, it's it's important to know some of this history to understand why we are where we are today and how if we can kind of unlock some of this stuff, there's a real bright future for the game. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the W25? I love this list, and the only thing I would have uh, you know, wished on this list is if you ranked them by order instead of alphabetical order uh, <laughs> and, and rank them by kind of like legendary status or order. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could have really, I could have really hit the like sports radio talk show gold if I had like a list, right. right? With where I, where I placed my flag in the sand about who the number one was. Um, yeah, I mean, thankfully that I could, I can draw from like a bunch of um, data and votes, and so everybody you see on that list is a peer, peer like peer chosen by other WNBA players. So luckily, I can like not take full either blame or credit for that list because that is very much like a player-driven decision about who have been the best players in the league's history. If someone is going to listen to this interview and then (laughs) get themselves a copy of the book, Hoop Muses, what is the one thing that you really hope that everybody who reads this gets out of it? That's a great question. Um, I think... You know, first and foremost, this is not a book that I think you should, like, sit in bed and read from cover to cover. It's very much something, supposed to be a piece of art that if you want to pick up here and there, read for five, ten minutes, read a little chapter, and you learned a little something, then you put it down. That's the purpose of it. That said, the, the kind of broader goal is really trying to show people that the history of this game has been interrupted at various points, but women have played it in in dynamic, really interesting ways, whether it's barnstorming clubs in the 30s we've never heard of, through to, you know, like Native American teams playing at at World's Fairs. Like, there's really cool stories. But just to that larger point of we mythologize our sports 
and create nostalgia and history and lineage so much on the men's side. And it does so much work for men's sports that we have this long history and lineage. And I want this book to sort of backfill some of it for women's basketball and, and do some work in mythologizing and creating some of these icons who have existed in the history of the women's game. Hoop Muses is the name of the book, folks. Uh, once again, an insider's guide. Uh, to the pop culture and the women's game from Kate Fagan, who joins us. And by the way, this is her fourth book, The Reappearing Act, What Made Maddie Run, All the Colors, and now Hoop Muses, number four. And you can also check out her podcast, Off the Looking Glass. Great stuff. Really appreciate it, Kate. Thanks so much for the time. And uh, once again, really excited about uh, this project for you and where it goes. Awesome. Thanks, guys. This was fun. From Kate Fagan over to Charlie One. Let's get a traffic update. We'll come back with more in a moment right here, 600 CSPN El Paso.